Hey, it's Vadim reminding you to check out our Digital Recordings Basics ebook, totally free. Just go to howtorecordyourband.com. And with that, you'll get a couple of emails with gear recommendations and some cool tips and tricks. I haven't been sending out a ton of emails, but I'm hoping to start picking that up a bit in the coming months. So go to howtorecordyourband.com, check that out. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take just a minute to click on the leave us a review link in the show notes and leave us a review. You know, one of the coolest things and most surprising things about this podcast has been the community aspect of it. I figured when we started it that we would get some listeners and I figured we would have some small community, but I really didn't expect to have this many rich conversations with people who are DIY recording enthusiasts. I mean, if you think about it, all all the interactions we tend to have on social media are so fleeting and quick and lacking in meaning. And I can tell you that when I first got really into DIY recording, which is right around 2006, was when I like started to ramp up. I didn't know anybody who was interested in this stuff. Like I had friends who were musicians, but they weren't really interested in the recording aspect of the craft. So I was kind of stuck learning this stuff on my own. And to have this community now of people who write us emails and tell us their stories and talk about the music they're working on has been really special. So I encourage you to keep that up. You can email me at vadim at diyrecordingguys.com or ben is at ben at diyrecordingguys.com. Reach out to us. Let us know what you're working on. In fact, this week's episode is really brought to you courtesy of one of our community members, John Connor. His artist name is John 3. That's J-O-H-N and then the number 3. John was kind enough to do a shootout using all of the guitars he has in his arsenal. He was pretty methodical about it. And as a result, we get to hear a bunch of guitars back to back that many of us probably don't own and may otherwise not get to hear. So thank you, thank you, John, for taking the time to do this and then sharing it with us. And how cool. I mean, if you guys are doing shootouts of gear in your studios, we'd love to hear it and talk about it and maybe do an episode on it. So you can check John's music out at john3music.com. That's J-O-H-N-3, the number three, and then music.com. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. As always, I'm your host, Benjamin Hall from DreamLoud Studio, here with my co-host, Fadim from Calm Frog Recording. How's it going, man? It's going okay. It's going okay. I'm uh, back choking my neighbor and being choked by my neighbor. Are you doing some kind of uh, martial arts? Yeah, it's our, it's our fight club. Yeah, we, yeah, we both do jujitsu. Pre-pandemic, we were both doing it. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, that was probably a really <laughs> weird intro. You're like, what are these, what are these guys into here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, since the pandemic, we haven't been training. And so he set up uh, like a bunch of mats, uh, like wrestling mats in his spare room 
Um, and yeah, we, we stopped going for a while for a couple of months there cause we were both doing some travel and whatever, but this week we picked it back up and, um, I don't know, you know, recreational violence is sometimes just the thing you need to, to violence your, is always the your answer. spirits. Yeah. <laughs> my impression of jujitsu was, I know it's its own thing, but my impression of it is it's just one of the skills you need to know from MMA whenever they knock you on the ground and you have to grapple with somebody. But like, what's the whole idea behind, you know, jujitsu as like a, as a martial arts form? Is it just grappling or like, yes. is it just defense on the ground? Okay. It's just grappling. And it, I think the reason that MMA guys use it so much is because it really is like one of the most efficient sport. It's, it's one of the most efficient grappling techniques. And so if you're going to pick a grappling technique, that's a good one. And honestly, hmm. like I got into it for the for the self defense element of it. I, I didn't really do a ton of martial arts. Like I did a little bit as a as a kid, but when I was researching what to pick up as an adult, the thing that I liked about jujitsu, which totally ended up being true, was that you can go like a hundred percent all out, right? And because there's no striking, it's still you can you don't get like a black eye, but like you can you feel like you're fighting for your life. <laughs> in the hmm. sense and that's cool like i you know as somebody who's never really like i'm not a violent person i didn't get into a lot of fights as a kid to have this element is like it's interesting it's been it's been really fun and i i enjoy the sport aspect of it as well it's a bit like uh like violent chess in a sense very cool very cool indeed yeah I like that. Yeah, man. So that's what I've been up to this week. So my neck's a little sore. If I'm, uh, if I seem a little stiff, that's why. Because uh, <laughs> mostly I'm on the getting choked end of things. <laughs> that's how my <laughs> training is, uh, goes. What about you, man? I know you've been, uh, you've been super busy of late. Yeah, it's been busy, good busy and bad busy. Like my my day job is just killing me right now. It's been uh, really busy, but you know it's par for the course. Uh, on top of that, though, I have a couple projects that I've been mixing that I'm really pumped about. They yeah, a both of big sound projects. awesome. Yeah, big projects. They both sound awesome, and it, you know, I'm I'm still in this phase of like the studio's not my full time gig yet, and it just kills me that like I've got these two projects just sitting in my other room waiting for me to like work on them. Yeah, and most of the day I just can't get to them, so I'm excited for. Even tomorrow, I'm going to have a lot more time to dive into it. So it's it's good to be busy and also frustrating to be busy. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating when you want to be working on that that music thing. And especially when you have paid clients, you're just itching to get to it, I'm sure. So I'm glad you'll have some some time and I'm sure you'll be at it this weekend. Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. What are we talking about today, man? Here we're doing a bit of a guitar shootout, which is courtesy of our community member, John Connor, who's... Uh, a recording machine, man, that I, I swear, I wish I had that guy's tenacity and drive for making records. He's just recording nonstop and it's awesome. Like just to have that level of productivity because yeah. he's always posting in the Facebook group and he's just like leveling up with every recording he does, which is what happens with all of us, right? Every time we do a project and finish it, we get better. So uh, yeah, kudos to him for that. And he kindly sent us these tracks um, of that he recorded, we'll des describe them in a minute. I'll let you describe them in a minute here. But basically taking all the different guitars he has, which is which is a pretty cool collection of guitars, plugging them into the same signal chain 
with the same settings, not really touching anything on the amp, no pedals, nothing on the interface, no plugins, nothing weird, just straightforward comparisons of what these different guitars sound like. This is great. And I don't know if you got the idea from listening to one of our episodes about doing mic shootouts. So the way we were coming at it is mostly uh, get to learn how your guitar cabinet or bass cabinet sounds by putting a variety of different microphones on it and see, you know, what kind of responses you can get out of different microphones. Well, he kind of uh, re-engineered it the opposite way and he kept the end of the chain the same, but he was switching the instrument part. So just switching out all his guitars to kind of give himself a template of this is what each of my guitars sound like. And I think it's a great idea. So he can go back and reference at any time to say, you know, I'm looking for a guitar that sounds more vintage and, and warm. Well, he's got these pre-recorded examples and he can listen to that without having to go through the whole process again and know for certain that, oh yeah, this guitar definitely has that warm vintage sound compared to my other four that I have. Right. It's so important to know your gear, know your tools effectively, wherever they are, whether it's your instruments or your plugins or your microphones, understanding their character in advance, doing that research up front. Like you said, it just helps you make quicker decisions on the fly. And if you can make the quicker you can make gear decisions, the more time you have, like yeah. you always say, Ben, for the creative stuff, the fun stuff, yeah. you know, just kind of be in the flow and, and create music. So yeah, kudos to him for doing this. And do you want to, do you have the, the gear email handy? Do you want to read these off? I don't have it handy. Okay. But... I, I have it. I can okay. read it. So here's his guitars he used. And we actually, we have an interesting clarification that you and I discussed as well that we'll get into here. So he's using a, um, first guitar is a an Epiphone Les Paul standard. Then he has a Gibson Les Paul standard, a Fender American Telecaster, a Gresh G5422TG, and then I think this is his newest baby, the PRS SE Custom 24. That's a beautiful guitar. Uh, so that's that's the guitars he's using. And then the rest of the chain, which is staying constant, is a Fender Blues Junior amp, mic'd up with a Shure SM57. And he's giving his mic placement here as three inches from center, from the center of the cone, slightly off axis. EQ is all flat on the amp. Hmm. Uh, all the guitars are in the bridge pickup position. There's no effects, no pedals, and he was drinking a Dos Equis beer <laughs> while doing it. So he's. I remember uh, that. Yeah, he's he's checked all the boxes. And so so Ben, when we first listened to these, which we got these a couple of weeks ago, you brought up a very interesting point. So talk about the one of the first things you noticed when listening to these samples, which we'll play in a minute here. Yeah, sure. So the first thing I noticed when listening through is because he he said up front, I didn't change any of my gear settings. The only thing that changes is the guitar that I have plugged in to my rig. And so knowing that and then also hearing uh, the samples that he gave us, the first thing that was very apparent to me is there's a very different uh, level of amp breakup or overdrive that I'm hearing from track to track, which tells me that, okay, if he's not changing a distortion pedal, if he's not, cha if he's not changing the uh, level of 
the gain input on his amp, then that means that each of these guitars has a different volume output. So some are driving the amp less or the, the whole uh, signal chain less than other ones, which are overdriving just from the nature of having, having more volume output. So right. the point I was bringing up is that it's kind of a good example, but also in some ways we're, we're not comparing apples to apples. We're comparing apples to, I don't know, what's something that's like an apple, but not an apple. <laughs> a pear. <laughs> a pear, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's a really good point. You brought this up to me. You said, look, and if you guys are confused on what we're talking about, go back and listen to episode 28, which is on gain staging. And this is what we're talking about here is that we have a, if we have a higher level going into the preamp, then that preamp will break up more than if we had a lower level going into it. And so, so as Ben po correctly pointed out, and as you'll hear in a minute here, that some of these guitars are getting much more breakup than others. And so I came back to John with a question. I'll just read it to you. Um, I said, hey, Ben, Ben picked up something important. We wanted to check with you. It sounds like some guitars are driving the preamp harder than others, which would be expected. The question is, how did you handle the knob settings on the individual guitars? For example, are all the knobs just maxed out? So we can assume we're getting a max output comparison. And I also asked them if any of the guitars have active pickups or whether they were all passive. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And he responded, he said, all volume and tone pots were wide open, maxed out. All guitars had stock passive pickups. And once I set my preamp gain on my interface, I never changed it. And in fact, he said, I did all of this in the span of an hour. So you could go as far as saying the temperature and humidity were all the same as well. So I like this test. I, I think there's, yeah. there's, um, because all because all the pickups are passive, we've talked about this on some guitar tone episode. When you have passive pickups, all you can do is attenuate with knobs. You can't add anything because there's no power source there. There's no active circuitry. So right. all you can do is like your tone knobs will attenuate some frequencies and your volume will attenuate some level. So he's saying these are pa passive pickups. So he maxed everything out, put all the knobs on 10, and that's how he's leaving it. And so... There's kind of two things going on here. I think this is a good test because, again, he's trying to test the guitars and, and what they can do. And if one guitar has a higher output than another guitar, well, we want to know that. So it's a good test. And you could make the case that another good test would be to do what you're saying, which is to adjust the volume to all match whatever the lowest output guitar is. And that might be an interesting result as well. I've had to kind of, I'm glad you brought all this up and I do agree with you that it is, it's still a valid test, even with the differing volume levels. I've had to do this in some sessions. Sometimes if I'm trying to find a, uh, a specific guitar tone that I want to add to a song and spe specifically if I'm going from one plug into another in particular, because the gain staging isn't going to be the same from manufacturer plug-in manufacturers. So one way I found about getting around it is I'll actually add uh, a gain plugin after my amp sim so that that way I mm. can toggle from amp sim to amp sim to amp sim and make sure that everything is at a consistent volume so that I know that I'm kind of not going to fool myself as far as thinking that something's better because 
it's louder. So all that to say that like maybe maybe another way to take this experiment farther is to see kind of figure out all right i know that these are the way my guitars sound these ones are louder than other ones now i'll figure out how much louder how much volume is each guitar adding mm, yeah so to do that you would have to actually do the probably just the di's you'd have to probably. just plug the guitars in one by one because the problem with the amp is like, well, it breaks up. That doesn't necessarily mean it's louder. It just means it's breaking up. So right. yeah, that's a great point. I think another cool way to do this test would be to just record all the DIs and then level match them and then see the tonal differences. That would be another cool test as well. Yeah. All right. Should we get into them? Yeah. Let's get into them. All right. Oh, so by, by the way, before we actually dive into them, I'm glad I haven't listened to these in a while. So I think I can be a little bit more unbiased. Maybe I yeah. could take some stabs at, you know, some hypothesis, hypotheses okay. as to how I think these are going to sound. So maybe I'll just make a couple general ones. Sure. Uh, I think the Fender Telecaster is going to be the brightest and the thinnest. I think that the PRS is going to be the thickest, loudest. Um, what else do I want to say here? Maybe the Gresh is going to sound the most vintage. That, those will be my three hypotheses. I love it. Okay. And, by, and when I say vintage, I mean warm, hollow body, less treble. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. That, so are you doing that based on just the reputation that these guitars have? Mostly, yeah. Okay. I'm really going out on a limb with the Gresh because when I think of a Gresh, I think of like... The electric with the big body that has like the, you know, the the hollow body look to it. But I don't know if that's the one specifically, the model yeah. that he's playing through or not. Well, that's that's also what I think of. Uh, I mean, the what you're saying. Uh, well, I won't spoil it. Let's play them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first up is the Epiphone Les Paul standard. Here's that. Okay, cool. So maybe it's because it's the first tone we've listened to, but I feel like this is a very balanced guitar tone. Yeah, I agree. I actually ended up using this one as kind of a baseline to compare the other ones against. So what is an Epiphone versus a Gibson Les Paul? Is the Gibson the more expensive one or is it more complicated than that? No, I don't know. To be honest with you, I think that it's similar as like Fender versus um, Squire. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, I think Epiphone is typically lower cost. Okay. All right. Should we do the the Gibson Les Paul next? Big brother. That sounds like yeah. That sounds like uh, appropriate. All right. Listen to that one.
okay, it, it took me a few listens to figure out, because at first I was like, are we listening to the same track? <laughs> that was my first impression, because they sound very similar, but I think there's a, a better, crisper, more defined high end on the Gibson. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I definitely got that also. I, I In fact, I was I did pull out an EQ and play around with it a little bit, and I th- thought that the Gibson had a kind of a bump in that, like right around three kilohertz, a fairly mm. wide bump. So it pushes some of that, like a little bit more of that. Well, we talked about it on last week's episode that um, barky. Yeah. Right. It was a little more barky than the um, than the Epiphone, and also thought that the Epiphone had a bit more like low mids maybe like somewhere mm-hmm. around 300 hertz it, it had actually a little bit more for me than the gibson did i hate to say it i prefer the epiphone in this between these two examples i think it it definitely depends on what you're going for like i like the aggressiveness of the gibson but the Epi- epiphone is a great sounding guitar that's that's kind of you're right i think you're right and what i wrote in my notes was that it's it's actually sounds a bit harsh to me but of course that that could be just the amp settings and i I said that because of that little bump um in that barky range it could have a really nice bite in like a high gain tone Mm -hmm. situation like that could it could be really nice and and sharp and aggressive so yeah i think you're right it maybe depends on the situation just between going into this amp I thought it was a little too harsh. There was a little mm. um, in that in that range, and I preferred the Epiphone as a little being a little more balanced. Great cool. point. I love it. So what's up next? Let's do the Telecaster. not gonna lie vadim this is exactly what i expected from a fender uh, telecaster right although i will say that it's um it's interesting to hear that riff played on a telecaster because probably the most famous context that i'm familiar with now this is just me when i think of telecaster i think of like john frusciante and the red hot chili peppers and it's all these super funky riffs that are... I, I thought he played... A, is that what he played? I thought he played a Strat for some reason. Strat's most of the time, but on a lot of songs, he plays a Telecaster. Oh, okay, okay. And it's, you know, very much like super scooped, mids, no low end, very bright, something that cuts through. And... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just a specific, a very specific tone. Now, the funny thing is, is that we've both seen guitar players in very heavy projects play telecasters yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know how they get away with that actually now listening to this example i've never played a telecaster but i totally agree with your description i you know it's very bright very jangly there's a lot of presence it's it's above that Mm -hmm. barky range it's really like five kilohertz somewhere around there the really sparkly glittery stuff and way less low end than than the the less pauls 
and also it kind of didn't drive as hard as as the Les Pauls. Yeah, good point. And you're too. right; it was scoop. There wasn't really as much mids there. So now I'm interested in knowing what the rest of the signal chain looks like for these guys who are playing metal with Telecasters. There's got to be a reason why you don't see it yeah. so often. <laughs> I I would not be surprised if you have like hot rotted guitars either, where the pickups are not stock. Right. Right. Yeah, they could be. And plus, they could be using a neck pickup or something like that. That I didn't notice. Because what do the Telecasters have? I don't know what they have a for pickups. Do you? Yeah, it's a single coil neck and a bridge humbucker. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is interesting because the humbucker, you know, maybe maybe they are getting a little bit more low end out of that humbucker versus a Strat, which is just three single coils. A more balanced but bright approach. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would be it interesting, is interesting to have a, a Strat in there as well. Yeah. John, why didn't you include a Strat? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, you got to buy yourself a Strat, man. That's got to be your next purchase. All right, let's go with the, the Gretsch next. All right. I would say this guitar belongs with that riff and that that setup. Tell me more. It's interesting because at first I was like, oh, this is bright like the Les Pauls, but it's not like them. It's it is bright, but it's um a more sparkly bright, like more presency. Whereas the Gibson and the Epiphone, they're bright in the sense of being barky. So more in the high mids is where they kind of uh, push their tone out, whereas this Gretsch is has more of a presence type of high to it. And I felt like mm. the mids and the lows were very balanced, but uh, they weren't as forward as the Les Pauls. So I felt like it was, a, if you could imagine like an EQ, just imagine it being, that represents the guitar tone. It's just the flat the whole way, and then when you get up to maybe four kilohertz or that presence range and above, there's just a little bit of a like a high shelf. That's that's mm. what I imagine this Gretsch sounding like. Interesting. Yeah, I I I agree with you. I think I thought this was probably the most balanced one, um, specifically because of how balanced it was across the the mid range. Hmm. It also had the lowest output, and so it didn't it didn't push the amp as hard into into breakup. And maybe and, that's um, maybe that's affecting my opinion a little bit because the breakup also makes it sound muddy too. With on, the other guitars, on the other guitars, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That might be affecting it. But I was I was playing around with this compared to the uh, the Telecaster, the Telecaster. Yeah, it's what you said to me playing with the EQ a little bit. The Telecaster was more scooped around the mid-range, 500 hertz, and it was it was brighter. It was it had way more presence than this one, mm. uh, than the Gretsch, which is why I'm saying like the Gretsch is more to me more balanced than the Telecaster. 
But yeah, they do two different things. One is super jangly and one yeah. is a little more more balanced. And I like what you said that it works with this riff because yeah, I think that's a good observation. <laughs> yeah. All right, PRS. Do it. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Obviously, this has the most output because it's the most broken up signal. Yeah. Which I'm not surprised at at all. I think that's kind of the draw of PRSs. Like a lot of people in hard rock bands play PRSs. Yep. More output. Um, I was actually surprised by how balanced the tone was. Although there was, I felt like, it's hard for me to hear on on these headphones, but... I felt like there was more low end from this tone than all the others. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it seemed balanced the whole way through. So I felt like all the other guitars had a little bit of a high end bump or boost to them. And this one, I feel like is kind of the opposite. The mids and and the highs are balanced EQ wise. And then there's a shelf at the low end. Interesting. I did think it had better extension um, probably on both sides. I, I thought oh, okay. it, it had it, it got more high frequency information than the Les Pauls and probably more low frequency information as well. And actually I thought it had a little bit of a scoop out in the in the mids compared mm. to the Les Pauls, which again is like kind of not surprising because like you said, you, you know, we think about a Les Paul into a Marshall as being like that classic crunch tone, like what we talked about last week. That's the classic rock stereotypical setup. Yeah. That's like the slash setup, right? I think, I don't mm-hmm. know actually what he uses for an amp, but the, the PRS to me sounded like it had better extension and a little bit of a scoop in the mids. And you, and you said they're very popular for hard rock and metal, and that kind of makes sense to me because we said we want to emphasize frequencies a little bit higher up and, and maybe scoop a little bit of the mids for some of those high-gain uh, chuggy tones. All right, here's all of them back-to-back so you can hear the differences clearly. Start with the Epiphone Les Paul, then the Gibson Les Paul, then the Telecaster, then the Gretsch, and then the PRS. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool how you can get a very different tone out of, you know, different guitars. Yeah, it's definitely cool. John also, uh, this is sort of related, sort of unrelated, but he had a good post about how changing string gauge can affect your guitar tone. And that got my gears turning because I've mentioned before that I'm considering a pickup change on my Schecter, which is my, my heavy guitar. And now I'm wondering, is my, my strings on there are so beefy because of the drop tunings? 
and the tone is too midsy for my taste. So I have to EQ that out before going into the amp. And I'm wondering if that's a string gauge problem more than a pickup problem. Mm. So I need to, that's something I haven't quite figured out yet. That might be for another day. I definitely think it is like, uh, it's definitely something to look into and to try to, you know, zero in on what works the best for you because I've, I've definitely gone on guitar in particular, the whole spectrum of strings that were really light gauge to like gauges that were way too thick. Like they had no business being on my guitar. And, uh, I think that the super heavy gauge is not, it's not ideal for a recording standpoint because it might be good for a playing standpoint because you have more tension on the strings. It's can be easier to play it. I mean, it depends if you're doing a lot of bends, then you don't want it to be the tension to be too high. Well, so I'm tuning so low that like the tension is not obscene, it, it but the strings are very heavy and that's why, you know what I mean? Like right. I'm tuning down to, uh, Ooh, I can't remember now. C. Okay. No, or maybe even a B. Some That's somewhere low. down low. Yeah. yeah. And so I I set it up for this super heavy gauge where like I did my truss rod adjustments. I you know I did everything, and I love the way it plays. It just feels heavy even when it's not plugged in. Yeah. It sounds heavy, but yeah, I get this uh, too much too much mids. So, what have you play? Have you noticed that like change in? mid-range frequency with switching gauges or you haven't done yeah. those kinds of tests yeah with the super heavy heavy yeah. gauges i think there's too much low mids that can be really? a big yeah a big problem huh but but you also get the opposite problem if your gauge is not thick enough you get this really thin sound so it's definitely like i mean i think my rule of thumb is i want the thinnest gauges the thinnest gauges i can get away with but that's coming from a perspective of somebody that likes playing on heavy gauge strings. So, but the lightest you said that I can, for bass previously. Is that that's your rule of thumb for guitars as well? I feel like it's the same concept. I feel like you get better tone out of or it's not necessarily better tone, but it's a more focused tone on lighter gauge strings because you don't have I don't know what it is about like how a thick string vibrates, but it does introduce a lot of those lower frequencies. Man, I got a lot of thinking to do because I still think, <laughs> I wonder if a pickup change could still help me because if I just went with a pickup that was super upper mids focused, if yep, I could yeah. resolve the problem because I, I just love the way the heavy, now I'm like used to the heavy gauges and I just- yeah. I don't want to go back. <laughs> well, if it's comfortable, I definitely think that like playing a comfortable instrument is the most important thing. Right. So yeah, finding a pickup that fits that would be super ideal because I I mean, at the same time, I wouldn't want to play on strings that are so light of gauge for the tuning that you're playing in that you have to be worried about like pressing too hard or hitting the strings too hard because you're going to get, you know, clicking off of the frets or pulling things out of tune like that's just annoying to deal with yeah yeah for sure cool man well great episode great discussion thank you again to john connor for this shootout if you guys have shootouts that you're doing and you want to share them with us with the community 
that would be awesome. Hit us up in the Facebook group. Go to facebook.com, search for DIY Recording Guys. Join our group, or you can email us. I'm Vadim at DIYRecordingGuys.com. Ben is Ben at DIYRecordingGuys.com. Shoot us a note. Tell us what you're up to. Tell us what gear you're testing out. We'd love to uh, get some examples and play them because it's better than buying all this gear ourselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to do it. Combined as a community, we are stronger. Yeah, there you go. New tagline. A new tagline. But for now, our original tagline is still just as valid, which is make sure you check yourselves before you wreck yourself. Have a good one. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.